0: Living the Dream acknowledges the traditional owners of the land it is recorded on, especially the Jagera and Turrbal peoples, elders past, present and future, and their continuing struggles for justice and self-determination. You are listening to Living the Dream, the podcast of the hoo Group, and you're here today with Dave and Angus, who is a member of the Queer Liberation Front. We're just sitting in a cafe in the middle of Brisbane and having to of a chat. And today what I was hoping we'd be able to talk about is this new organisation that's appeared in Brisbane called the Queer Liberation Front, what it's all about, where its ideas are from, some of the things that have been going on, and how it fits into, I guess, the kind of Brisbane moment we're having, because I think we are having a specific Brisbane moment, and some of the politics and ideas that are coming out of that. And uh, I'm kind of also interested in the ideas that these, the Queer Liberation Front is an example of one of these new groups of comrades is actually putting forward to how we understand the world and make the world better. How does that sound to you? I guess? Sounds good to me, yeah. I guess maybe to start with, if you'd just like to tell us what the Queer Liberation Front is and how it came about.
1: Yeah, so the Queer Liberation Front is an organisation of anti-capitalist queer youth. Um, in our statement of principles or our statement of unity, whatever you want to call it, we outline broadly that we're uh, a queer organisation, so um, membership is exclusive to those who are queer identifying
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but we are uh, also an anti-capitalist group uh, with a commitment to the revolutionary for capitalist society as well as commitment to decolonization, feminism um, anti-imperialism and anti-fascism and a whole slew of other mm-hmm. um, sort of key radical revolutionary positions in our view it came out of a bunch of discussions. It around s- some young people in the Brisbane left, um, mostly uh, during the People's Climate March last year, where people met during the organising of the Radical Rock mm-hmm. for that big demonstration. Uh, at the time a lot of those comrades were members of um, resistance to Youth Wing of Socialist Alliance, but it's since left. And others were members of the local anarchist scene or involved in um, the queer collective at University of Queensland. But apart from that, I'd never been really involved in uh, organisations mm. of the radical left before. It's so coming out of the... Um, the Hebrews' Climate March, which was a fantastic day, and we formed this great radical block of about 30 or 40 young... Mm. Um, militants raising anti-capitalist environmental demands. A bunch of those people who are also mainly queer-identifying started talking about the need for a new radical queer group in Brisbane. And this really came to a head around the discussions about safe schools. When safe schools happened and the government sort of cut the safe schools program, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, we felt that there wasn't the structures for people to mobilise around that issue effectively in Brisbane, in terms of organisational structures, um, there wasn't groups to put out that call, and it was also based on a critique of the existing landscape of queer politics in Brisbane, which was basically that you there was sort of on one hand the um, liberal NGOs, some of which do good work, some of them do less good work, but all of them. Within the confines of a very specific model mm-hmm. of practice, and on the other hand, you have the Equal Love Collective, which is primarily focused on the marriage equality campaign. We felt that what was needed was a reorganisation organisation which positioned itself within a radical militant, a radical militant sort of uh, tradition, while at the same time being capable of campaigning for issues that go beyond and transcend marriage equality. Um, and this is based on a long-standing critique by radicals within the queer movement of marriage equality campaign being a representative of sort of more of the liberal wing of the movement. Yeah, that's basically where it comes from. And so early this year, um, a group of comrades met up and, mm-hmm. and formed this organisation. We've been meeting, we're trying to meet fortnightly ever since. Um, we've got memberships and... Patches, as, as Dave can see, um, <laughs> they're pretty cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've yeah we did all the sort of organisational stuff, yeah, and we've just started to get organised. Speaking of actually the patches,
0: uh, through one of the things that's really noticeable as an outsider to the queer liberation front is a real commitment to aesthetic. Right, so if you want to maybe tell, and I'll try to find some of these examples and put them up with the blog post. Uh, there's, you've recently kind of engaged in, I like, guess, a poster campaign. You want to kind of talk about those posters, and they're quite striking, right? They don't look like left-wing posters, as in they don't look like they're made on, like, MS Word in the middle 90s. Now, is this conscious? Like, what's going on with this kind of poster campaign and the aesthetic that Greer Liberation Front are engaged in?
1: Yeah, I mean, it comes out of a uh, real desire to start to take seriously the idea of hegemony, I think, Mm. and the idea that we need to be very serious about how we present and position our ideas. Mm. And as such, we've done, been working on um, posters, so uh, there's a few different posters we put out. One which was the explicitly Queer Liberation Front one, which is actually a redux of a 1970s Gay Liberation Front poster, Mm -hmm. which has all the um, slurs on it. Mm and it's sort of about, and that one I feel positions us as embracing um, embracing the idea of queerness as a rejection of normalcy mm. um, and in, in that rejecting assimilation, mm. which is definitely a core part of Queer Liberation Front's um, sort of political outlook. The other ones were in, done in conjunction with a few other groups around the No, no Pride and Police Campaign? Yeah, this is really interesting. Yeah, so that campaign emerged out of discussions around pride this year. Brisbane Pride is held yearly in September, and for the last two years, including this year, um, the Pride Committee has invited Queensland Police Service to march in uniform. Mm -hmm. Um, We obviously rejected that. We felt that it was we represented a. uh, a, a, an offence by the Pride Committee um, against both the history of the queer struggle and the fact that there are still police on the Queensland Police Service, like payroll, who arrested people for being gay mm-hmm. in the 80s. There are still people who have those criminal convictions, so have never been scrubbed from the criminal record. It also is an abandonment of our history, which has a ribbon of struggles against police brutality and police violence to run from Stonewall to Mardi Gras, mm. um, we feel it's also an abandonment of queer brothers and sisters and siblings who are marginalised in other ways, who experience police violence because they are trans, or because they are sex workers, or because they are indigenous, because they are migrants, because they are working class, because they are trade unionists, mm. in all those different ways. And we feel that... What it represents is that the Pride Committee has ceased to represent, or even have the ability to claim it represents, the entirety of the queer community, and it still represents a layer of middle class, white, um, gay men mostly. Um, that's actually just if you look at the composition of the committee itself, that's what it is. Um, it's all white and almost all um, gay men, even with a few uh, uh, gay women. So for us, we felt that, and for other people on the radical sort of queer scene, including Trans Prisoner Solidarity, Queensland, we decided that we were going to wage a campaign to get the police out of Pride. The police shouldn't march with us um, at Pride. We said, police, police officers who are queer are able to come as individuals if they're not in uniform. But the idea that the police should march as a block in the Pride rally, mm. is to, was to us too much of a... Oh, that's stress. interesting. It's a kind of subtle
0: distinction that I'm not sure if I'd, I'd picked up on. It, so yeah. It's very
1: interesting. And so what did this campaign look like? So it looked like a poster campaign, um, first and foremost. And the posters, as you said, were quite striking. or we very happy with them. One of the comrades um, in the QLF designed them. Wow. Uh, a whole series wow. of about nine different posters um, mm. with different slogans covering racism, police violence, prison abolition, colonialism, refugee rights whole different series of issues, but with the general theme, theme of um, no pride in police, no police in pride, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, no, and no pride for some of us without liberation for all of us. Mm-hmm. And this also coincided with us um, sending a letter to the Pride Committee on mm-hmm. behalf of this no pride in police group. A letter which we got a response, a response which... Ref- so can you just want to detail what you... Yes, yeah, so in the letter, we... Um, and we asked for the, for the, Pride like me to rescind their invitation to the Queensland Police Service. We actually also had a couple other demands. We also asked for the cost to enter the Pride Fair itself. It cost money to go into the actual fair. It's mm-hmm. actually $27 to get in. Something that I personally and lots of other young queer people couldn't afford to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we asked for that to be reduced and we asked, um, that there be more, um, representation and uh, accountability in the Pride Committee itself. Those were our three key demands. Mm -hmm. Um, We got a response um, after a couple of days from the Pride Committee, which we were surprised at. Mm -hmm. Um, A quite a well-worded and quite clever response, which basically said that we're not going to give any of our demands, but they offered to give us a position as a speaker um, on the rally and that we could, like they basically invited us to march which we were going to do anyway so it's Mm. a bit bit strange Um, actually there was a bit of um, lots of discussion and stuff but eventually the actual decision was made for us more or less because they gave us a a deadline that was less than 24 hours to actually return Mm. by the time we decided what to do it had already expired so we had to refuse (laughs) Um, with all that in mind we attended Pride as a block Mm. a radical block um, including members of QLF, but also um, members of organisations like Unite and the UQ Anti Capitalist Collective, mm-hmm. um, also came along on that march. Um, there were, we had a big banner that said um, uh, Queers Against Police Brutality, the first pride was a riot. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as a smash queer phobia banner and a banner which read queer kids for full communism that's a pretty cool banner yeah that was the UQ anti-capitalists they uh, mm. they are very proud of themselves for that mm. um, and then outside this block was then met by a group who sort of protested outside the fair itself um, and we distributed about uh, about 100 or maybe 200 flyers mm. outlining our demands and why we raised them and mm. The response was mixed from the actual participants. Um, yeah, it was a very sort of interesting uh, sort of thing. A lot of people were like, yeah, I understand, that makes sense. A lot of people were very angry with us. A few people attempted to, uh, like, the banners out of our hands and destroy our black arts. What, what
0: were the negative responses about, do
1: you think? Oh, just that we were ruining the fun of the day. Um, there's a, there is a very real sense, especially what well, we could to disclose more privileged elements of the community, that Pride is not about protesting. Mm. Um, for example, there was one in- interaction that I had at, outside of Pride Fair where we were raising chants about Indigenous deaths in custody
0: mm.
1: um, and saying that the police had blood on their hands. Mm. And one um, sort of middle-aged, white, gay man confronted me and said, no, today's not the day for that. Mm. And my response was, well, we can't forget about them just to have fun. Mm. And his response was just to be very sort of angry and upset with me. Um, that was very, uh, it was quite it was quite heated in moments. But I think overall, considering that we had quite limited time to organise it and we were quite stretched in terms of capacity, we did quite a good job in getting the message mm. out on the day. I was quite proud of the comrades who were involved. That's kind of really super interesting. But like, have you drawn any kind of kind of conclusions from that at all? Or? Well, there's a few things that I personally have drawn. I think that um, the the community is more divided than ever, and the segmentation of the community mm. is um, is growing between people who who will constitute a minority. In probably numerically, mm. I wouldn't have the numbers to confirm that, but would constitute um, the yeah. majority force in terms of actual organized NGOs and committees and stuff who are relatively privileged compared to the rest of the queer community and as such are content with moderate slogans and the slow and gradual march of what they see as a slow and gradual march mm. of progress. I guess, not like, because my thinking is, you know, as someone
0: who's doesn't really have any skin in this particular struggle, right? and probably reflecting my own kind of ideological obsessions. How much does this kind of, like, raise problems about the whole notion of community around identity in contemporary
1: capitalism? For me, I think it is... It a contradiction, but I don't think that like contradiction can be resolved by um, rejecting the notion of community around identity. I think it... Um, causes us to return to this question of intersectionality Mm -hmm. to remember that the ways in which oppression the way that these constructs intersect with one another and how that generates on one hand oppression on the other hand privilege and how that goes into the construction of worldviews and ideology Mm -hmm. and how we see the world around us I think what it does call for, and this is, I suppose, the queer liberation front's position is it calls for an ex- within that question of identity, that question of that particular intersection, in this case the intersection of queerness, mm. a call for a return to a very explicitly proletarian politics, mm. um and explicitly emancipatory politics. Um, to try and break with what we see as the um, the compromises mm. of a decade. Mm. Um, and the uh, ways in which the struggle has been monopolised by liberal hegemonic forces.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's really... I think that's super fascinating. And I also think it's really interesting, not because it's just, like, a, um, the interest of the specific struggle itself, but I think it's also... there's a big conversation. I see everywhere I kind of look at the moment, I'm caught in really complicated conversations about identity that I'm quite confused by. Mm. So it's quite interesting to see how when you shift this from, like, a conversation on Facebook or social media or just of friends and comrades to an actual struggle on the ground, then it kind of gives it some clarity oh, in yeah. some ways, if that makes sense, you know? I no, definitely uh, so. think really, But we got there by kind of talking about aesthetic mm. and hegemony and politics. So I'd like just to go back to that because uh, even in terms of the way that the protest was presented, right, the, there, was, there was a kind of a, a regeneration or a break with um, um, traditional kind of left aesthetic... Right, so and you related it to the question of hegemony. I was wondering if you could just explain that a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose for us it's, it's, a, it's a question of um, as young people involved in anti-capitalist politics today, we are caught between, in my view, a, um, obviously a, a sort of capitalist order mm. which is totalizing, mm. the spectacle and all this sort of stuff which is so difficult to find breaks from, Mm. and at the same time a left, which has been despite the objective conditions, which are often in Australia but in other places move in its favour over the past at least five years, has been unable to capture the imaginations of young people in Australia.
0: Yeah, that's Um, true, right?
1: Yeah. And so, for us, it's about as young anti-capitalists reconstituting what that means and building a new identity around that, mm. that's which is entirely twenty-first century in its nature. Mm. That doesn't necessarily mean the abandonment of our um, of symbols and ideas of the twentieth century. But it means that when we raise them, it's in a light illuminated by our own experiences. And that can mean in quite an um, uh, outlandish and non-serious way. Mm. So, for example, that banner, McQuick, the Queer Kids for Full Communism banner, it had a giant hammer and sickle on it, mm. um, a sort of stylized one. Mm. Um, so, which, I mean, much of the left parties of the banner was at yeah, like, um, due to its con- connotations with um, sort of official communism. Mm. Um, And the group, the the, the Ukrainian capitalist group, is primarily made up of people who would describe themselves as libertarian socialists and anarcho-communists, autonomists and other styles about left left anti-capitalist politics, Um, but had decided to take that symbol because of its, like, because the banner itself was already outlandish and outrageous. Mm. We decided... Why not? Yeah, it kind of reminds <laughs> me of these like pictures I've seen. I think from an Italian
0: maybe feminist group, or maybe an Italian queer feminist group, where they replace oh, the hammer yes. with some lipstick. Mm. So you know, or or even the one that's you know existed in Brisbane before and around the world of replacing the, the hammer with an ice cream. Mm. You know, the, 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 that kind of it seems to work, right? Mm. The thing I also find really interesting is that normally when I hear people talk about hegemony, it's normally an argument to make things more boring, mm. right? It's like oh, we've got to con- go for hegemony. Therefore, we've got to see. You know, we can't alienate people, we've got to go with what is the current understanding of the ideological coordinates and then just try to pull them softly to the left. But you're talking about hegemony in a way that goes, we want to get hegemony, therefore we have to be more outrageous. <laughs>
1: you know, like, I think it's about it's probably I mean in reality, it's probably about both of those things simultaneously. What for me what hegemony is about is about changing the horizons of the possible. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you do need to speak to people what they are. You need to engage in real struggles and real people's lives. But at the same time, you also need to, at certain points, explode the frameworks of the, of the moment. You need mm. to say, well, actually, no. The, if we kept within the, the coordinates of now, mm. we would be stuck in an endless oscillation between different forms of capitalist imperialism. Mm. And, I mean, I'm not interested in that. And I think that we need to, on a certain level, explode... The frameworks of what is possible and I think partly it's there's a there's a sense within which um, young people in the 21st century don't even remember yeah. the Soviet Union existing. yeah I wasn't alive when the Soviet Union collapsed um, they don't remember official communism as being anything more than a kind of a note in their history books so for them, there isn't this terror of a communist bogeyman, mm. Stalinist sort of horrorscape It's, it's if it's there, it's very vague. Mm. And as such, the ways we talk about radical politics are different. Um, full, to say full communism now is more or less a joke. Mm. It's a joke with an element of sort of desperation. Mm. And um, yeah, yeah, complex, right? It's complex, right? And it's sort of, and it's 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 sort of like. For a generation of people that's grown up in the period post the end of the long boom, neoliberal capitalism, globalization, the fall of official communism, all this sort of thing, for us it's, it's a totally different... The way we talk about politics is very different.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to pull out another thread from that, because I think one thing that I've kind of noticed from afar is maybe a difference about even how gender and sexuality is theorised. So I'd be interested in if you could talk a little bit about the kind of understandings and discussions that go on in the Queer Liberation Fund, the attempt to understand how gender operates, how sexuality operates, and how it fits into capital accumulation. Because in my thinking, I think there are two things that I kind of observe. I think on one hand, over the last 20 years, there's been a massive expansion in the capacity of human freedom around questions of sexuality and gender. Um, And that's really fantastic and really amazing. And, um, you know, I think there's often a narrative which is, you know, all social movements ended in late 70s or early 80s, but when we're talking about gender and sexuality, that's not true, right? But on the other hand, there's been simultaneously a process of the massive expansion, expansion of commodification of the body as well, which I think is, to use your language, like... Totalizing force. And so I'm kind of interested in how does the queer liberation front kind of think about these things and how does it understand the
1: world you live live in? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's obviously complex and I think our relationship with questions of gender is extremely complex. Um, Part of it is about um, a politics of Mm self-expression. I think is a big thing, and a politics of, uh, this this I think is is, is interesting because we talk about queerness a lot, um, and it's queerness as a concept is key to understand what the Queer Liberation Fund is about. Mm. Why did we pick that word? Mm. Why do we use the word queer? Why do we not use the term LGBTI or Mm. something similar? We picked queer because, well, we like how it sounds, but also because, for me, I think, queerness actually denotes three contradictory concepts, but it's in those contradictions what makes it a very useful concept for us. So when we use the term queer, we're denoting, firstly, it's as an umbrella term mm. to describe a slew of different and ever-increasing and expanding um, ways of describing the experience of gender sexuality, mm. which is in some way divergent from... Uh, patriarchal capitalist social relations Um, and it's a way of it's like an umbrella to include all of those multifaceted and complex uh, concepts at the same time it's actually a rejection of those identities it's a rejection of the process of labeling itself it's a rejection of Uh, As Sean Fay from Navarro Media puts it um, really well in their video, What is Queerness? One of them said everyone should watch it. Um, They put forward this idea of like, I don't know what I am, but why are you asking the question? Mm. It's sort of a rejection and I look back and say like, well, we don't need to know. I don't need to know what I am. I'm not normal and that's okay but it doesn't need to be labelled and categorised. And thirdly, queerness is a political project mm. which is about assaulting the walls of capitalist patriarchy and it's an emancipatory project. And it's almost been simultaneously, and those things negate each other on a certain level, but it's in that negation that I think you find the potential of the ideas mm. to be so transformative and emancipatory. That's, that's my, if put it really neatly, Yeah. At the moment, the ideas, I think, are scattered and yet to be synthesised. It's not like we put forward any theoretical positions Mm -hmm. as if, yeah, I don't know if we ever will. Um, Yeah, but I would say that is something that's... Even though that's my view, it's not necessarily the view of everybody in the QLF. I guess that I'm going to have to get back to work in a
0: moment. I think that's really, really fascinating. uh, It's interesting because I guess what I see from... The outside like the the big change I guess is that the way that I always kind of thought about about gender was in the sense that gender was you know a lived social construct and it was a restraint and emancipation was the abolition of gender is that sa- the same understanding that you think the maybe the queer liberation front has is the abolition of gender still a kind of key element of human emancipation
1: I don't know if I know the answer to that I I don't think I do and I think that I think I don't think that we like to make um, clear cut sort of statements certainly concepts we do around gender I mean I'm not entirely sure what gender is I'm not entirely sure anyone is sure what gender is I don't think it's constructed in the same way that race and class are I think it's different it it, it sits on a deeper level whether that means it can be abolished I'm not sure certainly there's Certain things it's... I think most people in the QLF would agree on. The abolition of the gender binary. Mm. Yes. The abolition of compulsory heterosexuality. Mm. Yes. The abolition even of of um, these sexual identities as, as, as clear-cut things. Mm. Almost certainly, yes. I think that beyond that, maybe we'll end up in a situation where there's so many gender identities that everybody has their own and then there isn't any anymore. Yeah, If that's where we end up, I think... For us, it's it's less about developing a framework and more about setting a target point. And that target point is human emancipation and freedom of expression for everyone. And if that means we have to abolish gender to get there, then we'll abolish gender to get there. But I don't like to um I don't like to uh, use my frameworks to make blueprints. I, I just yeah. But that, that being said, this is a debate which which um which. Who will definitely come up over beers every so often mm. and get very heated. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I think that the core of our political platform is mm. is is that of human freedom and yes. and freedom of expression for everyone.
0: Yes, fascinating. I was really influenced by um, like the. I've well, only read the first volume of, the, of Foucault's History of Sexuality, and the argument that he makes there that, that there's, the idea that sexuality is the truth of the human being is a particular historical product, right? Like, at a particular moment in time, power constructs that as a way of understanding and managing people. And so the kind of movement or that period of time where we think, oh, is sex- freeing sexuality is, is freeing ourselves, you know, Foucault's kind of retort is... Like, no, it's like the freeing of human relationships from the notion that there is a truth determined by sexuality, you know, and that, that had a huge impact. It was one of those books that I read It was like, everything I previously thought was wrong, you know, because I otherwise had this repressive hypothesis that there was a repression of sexuality rather than seeing it as a historical product. But I guess the last thing I'd like to ask you about is how you see the queer liberation front uh, sitting in this Brisbane moment, because I think there is a Brisbane moment going on. Very small, right? Yeah. Limited, but quite exciting and noticeably different than like two years ago.
1: Right. and so it's, is, there, is there a relationship, and what do you think that is? I'd say but there is definitely a relationship. The Queer Liberation Front sees itself as being one of the forces in a regeneration of the Brisbane radical left, mm. and a regeneration of um, a politics of resistance mm. in Brisbane. We see ourselves as being a part of that. Um, QLF is, and these different organisations will have different frameworks, and different formations. QLF is actually a very, um, quite a, a, a disciplined organisation in the sense of it's got very clear membership mm-hmm. and um, organised in in quite a in quite a structured way. It's, it's definitely not a, a loose network, mm-hmm. um, which is a quite quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely sees itself in the future as being part of a, um, a militant. Street Fighter organization, Mm. um, as well as doing all sorts of other things. Like, the QLF has uh, got ideas as wild and as wide-reaching as a um, sort of mutual aid-based homeless network for queer youth through to a series of, like, pamphlets on medical literature and, like, study groups for queer young people and all the way through to, like, street-fighting, like... Militant organisations and like self defence groups and stuff. Um, QLF sees its sort of future as encompassing all of that and more, and it sees itself as being a component of um, the, right, right, the regeneration of a wider Brisbane left, of politics obviously anti-capitalism, but also decolonization, a revolutionary feminism, um, yeah, a, a, a anti, a, like an ecological politics, and a broadly intersectional analysis of the way that we want to transform the world. Mm. Yeah, that would be... But they were definitely part of that moment, and um, that's evident even in the membership overlaps mm. between the Queer Liberation Front and groups like Unite,
0: mm.
1: um, the U.K. Anti-Capitalist Collective, um, people who were involved in Jonathan Shree's office mm. um, and the Right of the City, mm-hmm. all involved in QLF as well. And that in itself, I think, shows the... Um, the the generation of militants oh, right. mm. who are currently stepping onto the scene mm. are, in my opinion, um, the heart and soul of this new life. And that's really exciting.
0: Mm. Yeah, it is See really good. It's, it's super exciting. You now, if someone's listening and they think this is super exciting, how do they get
1: involved? So, we have a Facebook page, uh, just Queer Liberation Front. You should just drop us a message. Um, just through that. That's probably the best way to get involved with us. Mm-hmm. Um and we'll be able to sort of hit you up and, and get you involved. We uh we have a Facebook group, for people to just keep in contact with us and stuff. But yeah, definitely message the Facebook page would probably be the best way. All
0: right. Well thanks very much, Angus. That's been okay. really brilliant.
1: Yeah. Alright, um we'll probably
0: finish with a track and we'll stop recording and we can discuss the track then. Nice. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, thank you, Angus. You'll be listening to Living the Dream, the podcast of the Who Ha Group.